The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Mike. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So, how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Michael Corey, and I'm the executive director of an organization called the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County, which is essentially a chamber of commerce for about 150 health and human services nonprofits in Columbus. I'm a recovering lawyer um, and had the pleasure of working with you back at uh, Bricker and Eckler many moons ago when we were summer clerks together. And uh, I still get to use the legal skills more often than I would have anticipated in this role. Um, but our job every day is to help the helpers of our community through government relations, distributing PPE, which is what is in these boxes behind me, um, convening our membership for regular meetings, distributing lots and lots of information every day and trying to provide shared services and resources to benefit the breadth of the sector. This is great. And everybody, one of Mike's greatest qualities is his humility. I knew he would <laughs> do an insufficient job <laughs> with his introduction. So, let's add a couple of things. So, Mike is the guy everybody wanted to be in law school. He's that, <laughs> he's that all-star. He is the uh, award recipient of the Young Alumni Award for Morris College of Law. And he is no, the father. <laughs> I am not. I did not Wait. get that. Wait, what did that you was, get? That was you. You got the other one, though. What did you get? It was a, a humanitarian award. That is more prestigious. <laughs> <laughs> you walked me into that. You that walked is more, me into that. That is more prestigious. So, yes, this man is dripping with prestige, my friend. So, we are in a we're in for a treat. And he's an awesome tennis player. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure that we covered all of the bases and a great father and husband you, too. You, thank you for that. That's the most important part. But you neglected to use the past tense for great tennis player. <laughs> and, Fair. And great is too strong of a word. <laughs> I was <it> was average. <laughs> Listen, average is is good enough at this point. It's just uh, cardio, camaraderie, and and not getting hurt. That's where we are that's, at our at our age. <laughs> that's well played, counselor. Yes. So th this is going to be a fun conversation because Mike has all sorts of difficult conversations that he's having in in the role that he has because you are you're the inaugural leader of this organization, right? 
I'm actually the fifth. Um, the chamber was founded in 2010, and it was con convened by about 70 or so nonprofits at the time to represent one voice on behalf of the health and human services sector, which mostly meant engaging with our city and county officials. And our first two executive directors were outstanding, Keanu Williams and Yvonne Honeycutt. Um, and then there were two folks that weren't the best fit for the organization. And they got stuck with me in April of 2017. <laughs> and this is the, the longest tenured uh, ED that the agency's had, and it's the longest job I've ever had. Um, so uh, they're they're stuck with me now. I love my job. I'm unemployable going forward. So um, uh, yes, uh, but it does absolutely include some uh, difficult conversations, and uh, unfortunately, the difficult conversations aren't going away anytime soon because difficult circumstances we're in aren't going anyway going away anytime soon either. So. Yeah. So, so let's dig into this, Mike. I, I think because the position that you have is it's so unique. It's so necessary, but it is so unique. And so what would be interesting first is to address the different types of difficult conversations that you're having just in terms of the stakeholders that you're interacting with day to day. So what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, the bulk of that is probably on the government relations side. Um, we engage with local, state, and federal officials and offices, uh, mostly either beseeching resources or public policy. Um, if it's uh, depending upon the office that we're working with and the level of government, on the policy side, it's either please do this or please don't do that. Um, and, and that has shifted uh, over the last two years. Um, the first four years that I was in the job um, with the prior administration of the White House, the bulk of our difficult conversations were uh, directly with Senator Portman's office, where we would mostly be making the case for his office to go to the White House and stop them from doing what they were planning to do. Um, that has changed um, where we're now trying to get this White House to do different things. Um, but we don't have to play as much defense, at least not in the way that we were playing it previously. Um, with the state, the dynamic has largely stayed the same where we're mostly saying, please reconsider that. Um, but that's more targeted at the General Assembly. Um, we found with the governor's office um, a strong ally on a number of issues, even though our sector and the governor's office don't align 100%. That's not true of any office, but certainly not with the governor's office. But but he has been and his office has been uh, eager to have some conversations on difficult topics and trying to find a way through. Um, but often the backbone of those conversations is practical based upon what the General Assembly might squelch. Um, for example, we uh, were part of a group of organizations urging the governor and urging the General Assembly not to engage in a budget that the state Senate put forth last year that would have kneecapped uh, five different subsectors of the health and human services sector in terms of the resources that they were allocated, among other things. 
And we partnered with many members of the business community uh, in pushing against that version of the state budget. And for the most part, that big we prevailed and the governor was able to sign a budget into law that was far better than it could have been. Um, and at the local level, with the city and county officials, the decisions are, I should say the conversations are challenging and that there's a finite number of resources available. And there are many priorities and many folks seeking assistance from the city and county and doing our darndest to have urgent um, collegial conversations about the importance of allocating resources to help is, is that element of things right now. So that's where it is on the government side. Um, then you have difficult conversations with uh, the stakeholders in our community. And we work cross-sector um, with business, higher ed, health systems. So uh, we have to be engaging across sectors to try and galvanize resources for the sector and find alignment where we can to amplify the work that we're trying to do. To give you a concrete example of that, we have been um, distributing a sign-on letter that we drafted urging our two U.S. senators to pass a background checks bill. And we reached out to partners across sectors because advocacy is more persuasive when there are more people at the table advocating for something. And we had a number of stakeholders sign on to that outside of our sector. Um, not all, but, but many of the ones that we were hoping would do so. Um, furthermore, uh, through COVID, we found all sorts of partners um, across sectors to help the nonprofits and the people that they're serving. And sometimes those conversations can be difficult too. And those conversations are always ongoing. And quite frankly, they're probably going to pick up again. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So first, between March 2020 and March 2021, there was no repository of, of protective equipment for nonprofits, the people that they serve. So it largely fell to um, the city and county and donors from the business, higher ed, healthcare, and other communities to donate masks, gloves, soap, sanitizer, and so forth. And they did that, all of them, with tremendous, tremendous um, generosity. Um, and then last spring, the city and county opened up their emergency management warehouse of PPE for our folks. And they had uh, a seemingly endless supply of, of masks and gloves and gowns in particular. And then eventually rapid tests, which made extraordinary difference for the agency's bottom line and the health of their staff and their client base as well. Um, for various reasons, that warehouse is closing and so that resource will no longer be available. And we're going to be having some difficult conversations about how we can ensure our sector and our community have access to what they need should another um, disruptive wave of COVID emerge later this year, as unfortunately we're all expecting. So that gives you a sort of broad range of the kinds of conversations we're having, having rather. But to be very honest, um, even the difficult conversations haven't been terrible. Um, they, they've been they've been very collegial. We've um, been fortunate that even with folks that may not be on the same page as us, we have developed a good rapport. And with folks where a good rapport is impossible. Well, we tend to just circumvent those those individuals or offices or, or entities where it's not going to be a productive conversation for either party. Does your company invest in professional development training? 
If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. Hi, I'm DC Marshall. Hi, I'm Mita Malik. We are the co-host of the Brown Table Talk podcast, where we discuss how to help women of color thrive in their workplaces. And we invite allies to join us to help women of color win at work. We have a seat waiting for you. Subscribe to Brown Table Talk wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Yeah, so this is great. I, I love this synopsis because you're having difficult conversations on all levels. And so I think a lot of people might think, oh, this is Columbus-based or Central Ohio-based organization. No, we're having conversations at the highest level, national level, state level local level and with our stakeholders and the stakeholders look different than what people would expect as well too because they're it's not just the the various nonprofits in the industry but you're also creating collaborations with with the private sector as well and and what we're realizing is that for you as a leader essentially having difficult conversations or negotiations however you want to conceptualize it it's an integral part of what you do and it's it's almost <laughs> it's almost like what part of your your job duty does not involve difficult conversations it's it's essentially everything which is fascinating yes um i think a lot about the uh legal training i got in private practice where i was for three years and both as a speaker and as a writer and as a writer both of formal documents as well as emails and having to engage with different audiences and be um, more succinct in certain settings than others. Uh, but the most important thing I do is write emails. Um, I'm, I have a unique job for our sector um, because I need to communicate as efficiently and effectively as I can with the words uh, that are before me and the numbers that our agencies deliver to me to then advocate with and for them. Um, but But so much of it boils down to communicating and then building relationships through communications to get the work done. 
And as COVID emerged, when the face-to-face was much harder or it was virtual, wasn't quite the same as being able to shake hands and look one another in the eye, the importance of picking the right words and picking the right tone and having the right inflection and the right amount of urgency and whatnot um, was that much more underscored. And I had the privilege of being able to to do that from the safe setting of my house for 13 months and then my office where I'm isolated with a bunch of boxes <laughs> ever since. So, um, yes, uh, it, it's it's amazing how distinct that legal training has uh, uh, determined, uh, I should say, ended up being. Um, but, you know, I, I, beyond that, a lot of the communicating that we do is internal with the CEOs and executive directors that we're serving. And the most valuable thing that we do for them is is email them once a day. Um, we started doing that around March 2nd of 2020 because the pace of things happening was so spectacular. And our agencies were all over the place and they're a very diverse lot of organizations. We have organizations that have a staff of zero and a budget of a couple dozen thousand dollars. And we have agencies with revenue over 300 million and a staff of a couple thousand. So what can we do to benefit all of them, especially in the midst of uh, a once in a century crisis? They all needed information. So um, turning all of the information that we thought was valuable for them into a digestible but comprehensive email every day um, became imperative. And then we try to use that not only as a tool to share information, but to gather it and then take what we gathered and do the advocacy work um, that we needed to do with officials, funders, and philanthropists, and corporate folks, and higher ed folks, and everybody else that we needed to engage with. So, um, I haven't given you a pithy response, but I promise you I I can be succinct when I need to be. <laughs> no, this is great, Mike. Because again, what we're realizing again is that the the importance of email, it's essentially a necessary evil at this point. A, a substantial portion of our persuasive endeavors are going to be via email. Yep. Um, whether we like it or not, you have to be good at it. And then also you've, ad- you've identified something that a, a lot of professionals are beginning to realize is that the most difficult negotiations are going to be sometimes with the people who are on our team or ostensibly on our on the same side. So yep. you're representing the people in the nonprofit world, but then you also have to get them on board as well. And within larger organizations, for ins- for example, we work with a lot of procurement organizations and they have to negotiate, of course, with the suppliers, but they're, sometimes their toughest negotiations are with <laughs> the people that they're buying things for, their internal clients, their stakeholders too. Um, you you mentioned you touched on some tactics that you use and i want to dig a little bit deeper on those too sure. and so we'll we'll say two or three so one you've talked about was is essentially coalition building you are doing a great job of getting a lot of stakeholders on the same page before going and making your request so i want to dig right. deeper into that you talked about the simple one of building rapport something that is essential but people often overlook because they're so busy using air quotes we are all busy so nobody's busy <laughs> you know so i mean we we have to make time if we want to be effective but then also recognizing that there are going to be some relationships where you simply cannot create that connection despite your efforts you can't build that rapport and then you circumvent that so i think it's the uh, the opposite side of rapport recognizing yeah. that sometimes you have to go around people so when we're thinking about coalition building let's start there let's go a little bit deeper on what that means to you and how you do it 
Right. Um, so it depends. <laughs> um, it depends on what we're trying to build a coalition around, but um, what's transpired thanks to COVID is something that's made coalition building significantly easier, which is that folks, at least in Franklin County, have been looking for ways to help the helpers. And our agencies come up or our stakeholders come up or we come up and we're quickly the beneficiary of folks being referred to us, offering to help in some way. And we say, okay, let's find out how we can help you. And then we use that initial entree to find other ways to keep roping them into things as they might be valuable. Um, let me use Ohio State as an example. Prior to COVID, we hadn't partnered with Ohio State on anything. We just had some conversations with some individuals and administration over there about ways we might be able to work together. And since COVID, I think we've touched five or six different colleges or elements of the university on a number of different fronts. And in real time, they're donating 5,000 portable air purifiers to our members. The next pickup is actually in the morning. Um, and that was because they found us on Google. Um, we needed a warehouse at one point to serve as a distribution point for some of the PPE that had been donated to us. And I sort of put out a call for help on Twitter through our Chamber account. And somehow this business called Dancor Solutions, which I'd never heard of before, they'd never heard of us, found us. And we've developed a relationship where they've very generously given us a little sliver of their warehouse, which to us is a massive allocation of space. And we use that from time to time. And uh, we just try to be extremely polite and gracious. And um, I sent them a bunch of hot chicken takeover the last time they, <laughs> they helped us out with something. I can't compensate people in lots of ways, but I can give them gratitude. I can give them media attention. I can thank them on our social media channels and I can send them lunch. Uh, so I, I try to do those pieces to continue that and demonstrate our appreciation, even if we can't do it in other more significant ways. Um, uh, when we need to go um, soliciting for assistance, I always try to find someone that can give me an introduction um, on behalf of the sector. And um, our reach is wide enough now that there's usually someone within our membership or our immediate stakeholder group that can make those introductions. And we, we use those somewhat liberally when we need assistance. Um, uh, and in the last places through Twitter, Twitter has been a spectacular, spectacular tool for us to build relationships and find folks to work with locally across the state and even across the country for all sorts of random things. Um, and we will continue using the heck out of that um, while it remains, you know, the service that it is now. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot in, in what you just described is something that's very, very simple, but something that's overlooked quite often is a direct request for assistance. Yeah. A lot of times people make the mistake of kind of beating around the bush and they're like, you know, it'd be great if somebody could help me. 
<laughs> you know, that's, that's not how you make an ask. You yeah. know, that's, that's where the negotiation begins. And that's where most negotiations fail because most people are not willing to make that request. And I think there's a lot of ego that's wrapped up in it because sometimes people are afraid to ask for help because it's some kind of show of, of weakness. But the only way you sure. can become strong is if you're, you know, willing to be vulnerable enough to let people know what you you need so you can get the, the, the job done. Well, if there's, if there's something I know well, and we nonprofits know well, it's being vulnerable. And uh, with with COVID, um, it's it's made what folks need and what we need very clear. And no one has time to beat around the bush. So uh, I've gotten very good at being very candid, uh, in part out of respect for those from whom we're asking something to make it as easy as possible to digest the ask and then respond to the ask. Uh, but I also try to make it easy for folks to say no um, and and try to be grateful regardless. Um, to give you a, a concrete example of that, last August, we knew that the Delta variant was having a, a greater effect on children than previous variants had. And we knew that there wasn't a ready supply of children's masks. So we went to the county. And we went to Children's Hospital and we said, here's the problem. Uh, we found a supplier in Florida that can manufacture these children's masks and have them available for us in five days upon receipt of payment. Would you be willing to partner with us by being the funder for, I think we got like 75,000 children's masks or something like that. And I just kept it real simple. <laughs> this is how we need your help. This is how it will be beneficial. You know, I can't offer you anything other than our gratitude and knowing that these will get out into onto the faces of a lot of kids in our community that may not have the resources to purchase the masks on their own or have their family purchase the masks on their own. And from uh, start to finish, that was about a three-week process of asking for help, getting the masks, getting them distributed, getting them paid for. And uh, uh, nobody has time in our world to um, <laughs> do the back and forth and go play golf and massage the ask and be passive aggressive and all of that. I, um, and a power to those that, that are still doing that. Um, at some point, I'd like to get away from being so blunt and transactional <laughs> with folks, but that day is not tomorrow. Right. Right. Now, I want to dig deeper on something that you said that was really interesting because you said you want to make it easy for the person to say no. And yeah. to a lot of people, that will sound a little bit counterintuitive. So, can you go mm -hmm. a bit deeper on that? If I back them into a corner or come on too aggressively, I feel like I might get an immediate yes, but I'll never get a yes again. Mm -hmm. So, I try to make it as easy as possible for them to say no in the hopes that it might be a no, but I can refer you to or no, but come back with another ask. Um, and sometimes I think that works to everybody's benefit. And sometimes it doesn't get what we need in the immediate term and that isn't good. Um, but ultimately, I think that that's an approach that we'll continue taking at least while I'm here. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, essentially, you're playing the long game. You're recognizing that this relationship has more value over time than if I were to just get what I want right now in this immediate moment, but never have an opportunity to go back. And 
this ties into the other thing that you've you've said a number of times, which is rapport. And mm-hmm. now what I'm going to say next will sound like flattery, and it certainly is, but there's truth to it. So you are a very personable person. You are somebody who is easy to like, right? And so when it comes to your ability to, to build rapport with somebody, I know there's going to be an element of it that is intentional, but there's going to be a significant element that is just your natural personality. And so for the listeners, I want you to try to distill the the parts of your personality and your approach that can be replicated. Essentially, can we put Mike Corey into a pill so people can digest it with their ears <laughs> and replicate your success? I, I've never been... Uh, <laughs> no one's ever suggested I become you know, a pharma, pharmacological <laughs> product here. Um, but I'll, I'll take that, Kwame. Um, I'm very self-deprecating. I know that. Um, that that I wish I could minimize that. Um, people criticize me for being too self-deprecating. And I'm like, yeah, I'm more critical of myself with that than you are. So, thank you. Um, uh, I try to inject uh, humor where I can. Um, I try to always be gracious. I probably use too much enthusiasm through exclamation points than I otherwise should. Um, I try to be very organized and put asks up front to make it clear for whomever I'm engaging with as part of that rapport building. I always try to acknowledge how busy I know someone is. I try to thank people for just reading my email. Um, or listening to me talk about something. Um, and then I always try to follow up uh, with a letter, uh, a handwritten letter. Um, although, uh, as everyone tells me, my handwriting has gotten progressively worse over the years. And I have to often translate them after people have received them. So, I don't recommend writing something that's not legible. Um, but that's that's what I at least sometimes think about. But it's uh, you know hopefully become instinctual enough at this point that I'm not consciously doing these things. It's just me being me. And I can thank my parents and and friends <laughs> for shaping me rightly or wrongly into, uh, into whatever I've become in terms of a communicator. I think that's great. And to me, if we were to synthesize this into three words, it would be um, authenticity. You are who you are and you lean into that. I would say it is respect. You're respecting the person that you're talking to by acknowledging how busy they are, respecting their ability to say no, and respecting the fact that you took the time to read my email and communicate with me and you did not have to. I see that. I appreciate that. And then consistency too. So you're really playing the long game again. Just want to really hit that home where we're saying, okay, I'm going to interact with you. I'm going to build rapport. And then after I, we either I get what I want or I don't get what you, what I want. Regardless, I'm going to show you that you still matter by yeah. following up with communication in my authentic way, which is illegible. <laughs> but <laughs> but they feel it. They yeah. feel the love. I think that's what's most important. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I will say a challenge that I have, and I'm sure we all have, is keeping up with communications to me. Um, my inbox has been unnavigable for about three months now. Ever since the Omicron wave 
um, eased. Um, I have not been able to keep up in any discernible way um, with my inbox. And, and I've tried, thanks to Bricker, to respond to everyone within 24 hours. And, and I am not in a place where I can do that because you get messages on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, your inbox, phone calls, on top of meetings that you're in and work you need to do. And I still haven't figured out precisely how to navigate all of that. Aside from I've now blocked off my Mondays and Fridays to not take meetings at all so that I can try and keep up. But it, it feels Sisyphean. Um, but uh, I do try to at least acknowledge I've gotten, uh, I've received your email. I know I can't respond substantively right now, but I will try to do so within a certain range of time. And something else I learned at Bricker is to not set the expectations to a place where you can't meet them <laughs> and underperform. So, um, but I've even taken the tact, Kwame, of keeping an auto message up at my busiest times uh, for a couple weeks in a row where I, I've just said, thank you so much for your communication. Um, I'm particularly busy right now and I won't be able to get back to you quickly. So they've at least received something. I've set that expectation low in terms of my ability to respond in a timely way. And then I try to give them a way to communicate with me if it's an emergency outside of, of the inbox. So um, that was a long way of saying I'm really struggling with that piece of showing respect, um, building rapport, being grateful, um, because it's it's drinking from a couple fire hoses right now in terms of that. Yeah. I listen, I have nothing that I can add to that because my inbox is a joke. Uh, so I, I listen, I, I empathize with you and I admire your willingness to continue to try because, <laughs> um, because like you said, it's Sisyphean. So shout out to Greek mythology there. Um, but I would say for me, it's like that boulder has rolled over me and I'm okay with it. Uh, so. <laughs> Kudos to you for still fighting the good fight. And yeah. I, I want to circle back to that one last point when you talked about those times where you can't build rapport, those times mm -hmm. when you realize I am having a conversation with somebody who is not an ally, they're not an advocate. We, right. it's, it, it's a reality that I don't think we address enough that just sometimes our goals are antithetical to the person who is across the table. And right. now we have to realize that we have to use our BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. I cannot get what I need at the negotiation table, so I have a plan B and it doesn't involve you. So what is it that you do in those situations? How do you circumvent that person without creating an enemy that makes it harder to, to use that plan B? Yeah. Um, so I've been fortunate in that that doesn't happen too often. Um, it most frequently happens when the party or entity that we're trying to engage with is just overrun with work and probably has an inbox far worse than mine and can't be responsive. So it's not a matter of wanting to, it's a lack of capacity to do so. And I just find another, another contact. Um, and I will even note in that initial communication to circumvent someone or some office, I have attempted. I believe they're extremely busy. So I'm coming to you because this is time sensitive or something to that effect. Um, if it is in fact, because of a conflict in terms of not getting what we need or getting the answer that we need or getting anything, um, it tends to be more due to politics 
and um, with an office that we have to work with, but we are struggling to work with. And we'll find someone at a similar level or um, just some other way around um, to get at least the message across or the information that we need just in another way. And again, I try to be transparent, but respectful. Um, give you a concrete example. Um, there's uh, So we work with all the elected officials offices that have a place in Franklin County. We don't engage with the elected official in the general assembly that's in Ganadin Hutton or Wapakoneta or Zanesville. Although with gerrymandering, we do have some folks that serve both Zanesville and Columbus. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some offices in uh, our um, footprint where they've made it very clear that they not only don't um, just agree with the position that our sector has on an issue, they don't want to hear what we have to say on a particular issue. Um, and sometimes we'll continue communicating with them out of respect uh, and to show that we're trying and to make an attempt. Um, or sometimes we'll just leave them off those communications altogether because uh, it's it's going to be a moot point um, for them uh, and for us. So, I'm, again, I'm privileged that that doesn't happen too often in our line of work. And I'm privileged that we represent and work with one county as opposed to 88, where you have to be a little bit more persnickety um, when those issues do arise. Um, but we're fortunate to be in a position where that's not the case. And so I'm going to take that privilege and, and keep running with it. Yeah, this, this is great because I think what we can take from this is that even if our interests are not aligned, there are usually other avenues that you can at least explore to get your needs met elsewhere. And whenever you enter into a negotiation, you have to understand what your BATNA is, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, because it'll affect the way that you have the negotiation. And you can't be afraid to use it. And mm. I love the element that you've added there is that you use it with respect, mm. right? It, I think people take the BATNA as it is a literal bat and they hit somebody with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that doesn't need to be like that. You could just say, hey, Mike, I, I, I see that our interests are not aligned. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And honestly, I would rather somebody be clear about the fact that they don't want to work with me or we don't have the same interests. Because, so I don't waste my time. I don't waste your time. We right. can agree to disagree and move on. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm not always... Um feeling respectful after the fact. <laughs> um, but in terms of our, our professional communications, they always need to be and they always will yeah. be. And through our work, we have to be nonpartisan and we are. Um, but we have a good rapport with um, uh, with all of the elected officials' offices with the exception of one in Franklin County. And that office has made it clear they're not interested in engaging with us. And that's okay. We don't need to work with them and they don't need to work with us. And we can do our work just as well without them, um, even if we think that that's to the detriment of that particular office's constituency. Um, outside of that, we've been very lucky um, with all of our other sector engagements. It doesn't matter what it is. It's it's not been a problem. And I know that that's we're very fortunate. It's one of the reasons I love my job. Um, I don't love conflict. That's why I didn't go into litigation. Um, that's why I went into the nonprofit space, but conflict is unfortunately a necessary part of things. I and mean, when we need to be in conflict, 
okay, we can do it. Um, but there's there's almost always a way around it for us where we can um, be conflicted um, in a uh, an approachable way. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so, uh, Mike, we are well beyond time. I must really like you or something, man. Jeez. Let, let this go on forever. But it was so good. I, I really appreciate this. This is so helpful. And for the listeners that are out there um, who, who are more interested in your work and they want to learn more, how can they get in touch with you and how can they support the, the chamber? Well, uh, first, thank you. This was wonderful. And it's... Uh... It's great to be with you and thank you for, for having me. If, if folks, um, I haven't driven folks away, um, you can check us out at humanservicechamber.org. You can follow us on Twitter at One Voice HSC, and you can sign up for our uh, e-newsletter also on our website. If you scroll down to the bottom, plug in your email address, and I promise I won't email you as frequently as I email everybody else. So... <laughs> Mike, this is great. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.